as always, it is my pleasure that you've joined me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I'd very much appreciate it, as it will help dynamic people such as yourself to discover this podcast and add it to their library of favorite podcasts. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I'd love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen, a coaching client seeking their second chance, or you're a representative of a business or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your organizational and learning environments. You can certainly reach out to me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Today's topic, we are addressing discourse, anger, and conflict. Working in organizations and institutions of higher education, I've had the chance to interact with returning citizens as employees and as students, and certainly being a returning citizen myself. I've certainly listened to how individuals speak about returning citizens. A lot of times it's very good, sometimes not supportive, and certainly all other opinions back and forth and all points in between. And most of the time, people not knowing that I was a returning citizen. But I would take it in stride because I know people come from different experiences and different places and have different outlooks. And certainly I look at myself as a as giving myself the opportunity or giving them the opportunity to just be informed, be enlightened as far as how they see things, as far as returning citizens are concerned. Because I know that words have power. Words could build you up. They could also tear you down. I certainly choose to try to build up and encourage that building up with myself and amongst people around me. I know that there are worries about employment and our college with people wondering how does a returning citizen interact with folks at work and with fellow students at school. A lot of times when people think of returning citizens incorporating themselves in these environments, they think of the 375 pound big ball headed dude with tattoos up and down. I wonder if this person sticking out like a sore thumb, how is this person going to interact with all of us? Most of those stereotypes are pretty far from the truth. But I do understand that from an employment standpoint, one, a hiring manager is going to look at negligent hiring. As we spoke about it uh, in a few episodes back, we know that negligent hiring can be prevented if we balance the job and the conviction as far as, a, as, far as giving a reasonable assessment. Certainly, it's not not doing the background check. We do the background check, but certainly it's part of our overall interview and risk analysis and assessment of the candidate. So that will protect us as an individual. Because certainly as a hiring manager, as human resource professionals, we don't want people who will create conflicts in an organization. That's natural. We all want that. But as we know, all of us who work, we know that there's going to be natural conflict. Issues arise because that is human nature. That's really organizational nature. But at the end of the day, people want to be in a safe environment, and sometimes they perceive people coming from a prison environment unstable or incapable of handling discourse or controlling their tempers. At the end of the day, the returning citizens that I've dealt with, and even myself as a returning citizen, we want that as well. We want to be in a safe and stable environment. We just want to come to work and just do our job. We want to go to school and just do our schoolwork. As I could tell everyone, I'm happy to report that after 20 plus years of being released, I've never gotten into a violent exchange or created an unsafe environment for anyone, because I want that, as I know everyone else wants that. At Second Chance, at Second Chance Coaching, we definitely talk about re-engineering employee development as part of that process. So once again, I always encourage you to bring us in, and we can certainly work together when it comes to that. When it comes to college or people going to school, 
we know that going to school, everyone is seeking opportunities. They want to seek opportunities to study new things and to have a different career. And they want to be safe in that opportunity, in that, in that environment. Here in the state of Florida, at the institution I work at, on our application, we do ask students to disclose their criminal justice history. And in my role, when I've been a designee of the Dean of Student Services, we do meet with those students who, who have disclosed their criminal justice histories. We review the student code of conduct. We review their criminal justice history with the student. We discuss the code of conduct and the criminal justice history with the student. We do ask, what do they wanna do now? What do they wanna study at the, at the school? And the hold is clear. A lot of times, returning students, returning students are sometimes left to kind of fend for themselves at most institutions after they go through that clearance. I'm happy to say to our institution, we certainly have initiatives that assist students going through that process. It, those initiatives may not be for returning students specifically, but they do address different socioeconomic issues, career conversations that they can have through their academic advisors, making sure that they get into majors that they're not going to be disqualified for. And certainly in my role as a designee and in my role as a student services professional, I certainly make sure that I keep my door open for returning citizen students to know that this is a safe space that they could speak to me about the issues that they're going through as they navigate through their academic journey and how they go towards transitioning to their work journey when they're finished with college. When it comes to discourse, I'll certainly talk to you and share with you guys a story about my work experience at the Fortune Society. As I've told you before, the Fortune Society is a great organization that helps people with reentry and getting back into mainstream society. Something you may not know about Fortune is that 85 to 90% of the employees there are returning citizens. So off the rip, somebody would think that that would be a powder keg for violence. But I can tell you that the entire time I was there, there was no violent in incidents whatsoever. It was just a regular work environment. Now, would I say that was there conflict? Of course there was. Was there discourse? Of course there was. Were there people feeling ang angry at times? Of course. But I could say 100% of the time, all of those incidents were handled positively and constructively. Those are things that don't always make the news because they're not unusual. There's no news about a peaceful work environment, just like there would be no news about a bird flying into a tree or flying in a tree and, and harvesting a nest or whatever the case may be. So that was good that there was no news, that there was no incidents there. But of course, even with no violent incidents, there was discourse like in any other any organization because the nature of relationships are complex. Different people with different personalities are going to clash. That's going to happen. When I worked at the Fortune Society, I worked as a family services specialist. So I specifically worked with single fathers who were looking to reintegrate back into mainstream society. And we did that through parenting classes cooking classes and providing legal services so they could make sure that they could be a part of their children's lives. At a certain point during my employment at the Fortune Society, I wanted to take one month off during the summer. I wanted to take a mix of my vacation time and certainly I wanted to take some unpaid time off because I certainly had my kids who were young at the time um, and I would have custody of them over the summer. My mother and my sister and my niece were in Florida living there. They had already moved to Florida. And I was living in New York, so I knew that taking care of the kids in my single lifestyle in New York wasn't going to be conducive. And I know I needed the support of my mother and my sister to help me take care of the children. When I requested the time off, my supervisor and my supervisor's supervisors both denied my request for vacation, even if some of the vacation would be unpaid time off. From my point of view, I felt they were not being supportive. 
I thought to myself, look, I'm in a job where I'm helping fathers connect with their kids, and I'm trying to do the same thing with mine. So how could I connect other fathers with their children when I can't even connect with mine? From their side, which I understood as well, oh, I didn't understand it at the time, but I certainly, on reflection, I do understand it to a certain degree, that they were looking at the organizational needs. You know, at Fortune Society, we, we're, we're funded by grants and things of that nature. We have, performance, we have performance outcomes, and we need these performance outcomes to be done. Now, certainly, you could have some time off, but having a month off, we felt like that was a little too much. So I then was at an impasse with my supervisor and my supervisor's supervisor. So at that point, I made the decision to submit my letter of resignation. I said, I'm, if I can't take the time off, then I'm just going to resign. I'll move to Florida. I'll take care of my kids for the summer, and then I'll figure it out after that. And I felt like at that, I felt that that was that. That was it. Slowly but surely, the word started getting out that I was resigning or I had resigned. People asked why I was leaving. I certainly truthfully indicated the reasons why I was leaving. And everyone had their opinion. And a lot of times their opinion was on my side that they were not receptive as to why I was leaving or why I was being allowed to leave. And they felt that it was going against the principles of the organization. The word continued to spread and it got to the founder and the executive director. They both on separate occasions and collectively asking what happened. And I gave them the truthful answer as to why I was leaving. They said, okay. And they asked me what I consider staying if there was a, some sort of an amicable of agreement that we could come to a middle ground. I told them, now, I don't know if there was a middle ground that could be reached, but if there could be a middle ground that could be reached, I love my job at Fortune. I love the work we were doing, and I'd be more than happy to stay. Of course, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but apparently there was an amicable agreement set, or at least in my mind, it was amicable. My supervisor and supervisor, supervisor both approached me, and they told me that they were not happy, but certainly if, they, if I wanted to stay, I could rescind my resignation. I rescinded my resignation and I got to stay and I got the time off, even some of the unpaid time off, and I enjoyed my summer with the kids. I had no problems with my part-time job and I felt like at that point it was over. We, we, can't, we, can't, we had a disagreement, we came to an agreement and now it was over. My mom during the summer, she said to me, keep my mind open. Your supervisor and your supervisor's supervisor have egg on their face. So be prepared that you will not be welcomed back with open arms when you come back at the end of the summer. I didn't know if mom was right on that as at the time. I thought she wasn't really right on that, but certainly she was right. And when I returned, they had a part-timer replace me during the summer. So they were they had a part-timer doing my duties and handling my caseload. So certainly I found out through clients and through, of course, through organizational scuttlebutt that the Part-time replacement was definitely trying to usurp me and trying to undermine my work in which I was doing. Of course, my supervisor loved him. And when I came back, that part-timer went back from being full-time in my position. He went back to part-time. And there was tension between me and him. There was tension between my supervisor and I. And certainly became an unmanageable situation where you could just tell it was just a lot of tension. And for me, I didn't think there was needed to be any tension. I was willing to quit. But when I was asked to come back, I said, I'll certainly come back. I took the vacation. I came back and was ready to do my work. But certainly that tension was there and it didn't stop. There was a lot of talking behind each other's backs. There was a lot of backbiting. So it, it ended up where there had to be a meeting in the division between the HR, myself and my supervisor and supervisors. And it was a very tense situation. I was certainly angry, but I felt there was nothing for me to be upset about or angry about 
but I could tell that there was a lot of resentful feelings. I was reacting to the resentful feelings that was there. Certainly, there was no violence, no physicalities took place. We had to have that meeting, and 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 at and when that meeting was over and done with, we didn't sing kumbaya. We wasn't all in love with each other, but we continued to work. We continued to be professional, and definitely, my supervisor would always make little comments, thinking that I was privileged that I had favoritism from the founder and the executive director, which wasn't true. But I let her speak because at the end of the day, I remember what I to- remember what mom told us last week. It was about her. It certainly wasn't about me. Now. When it came to anger, there was another work situation when it came to anger when I got to oversee an academic department. And in that academic department, I over, it was at a it was at a high institution of higher learning. And certainly I was overseeing or coming into overseeing a department that was historically difficult. And I was given this interim assignment two months after my son died, or about a month after he died, really. So it was pretty quick. And when I went into that department, certainly that department had a history of being difficult. When I got there, I definitely got the feeling that there was a lot of microaggressions being thrown at me, a lot of racially insensitive comments, comments such as reverse racism, which is certainly they were talking about another incident that happened in the institution. But I always said there's no such thing as reverse racism. Racism is racism. But I realized I was only one of I was only one of two people of color in that entire department. And I was the youngest person in the department. Everybody in the department was older than I was. And certainly had was at the institution a lot longer than I was. So the faculty, it was hard to manage the faculty, but particularly two faculty members that did not want to be managed. Certainly, they wanted to dictate their own course assignments, their own days off, their own office hours, and they were really aggressive about it. Sometimes passively aggressive, some more, sometimes outwardly aggressive about it. But as a boss, I just documented everything. I kept my interactions and in my emails all business. I let my boss know what was going on. But my boss was certainly one, he wanted to, he played the middle. I didn't feel he was completely supportive of me. He said there were times I was being heavy handed, but in my mind, I thought I was just being fair. I was going by the collective bargaining agreement. I was not going by the spirit of the law. I was going by the letter of the law. The tension between me and these faculty members got to the point that we even had to have a mediation as well with HR. Certainly no one apologized between us. I continued to do my job. It wasn't easy. I completed my interim assignment and I certainly didn't apply for the permanent job, but I did the job I was supposed to do. My boss was happy based on based on my performance reviews, but it wasn't easy to be in that environment. But as with any organizational conflict, I was angry by the way the faculty members treated me. But I kept going back it's about them. It's not about me. Even in the everyday difficulty, I felt like, you know what, it's just better to just be professional because if you're professional, then people will see the unprofessionalism of the people that you're dealing with, and they'll see how you're handling this situation. Now, when it came to conflict, I certainly dealt with colleagues that were at my level in a different position. And sometimes you assume that colleagues will be supportive of you. And in some cases, you know that colleagues are going to be ambitious. People never come into a field or an industry to work work their way to the middle. They always want to work their way to the top. And there's nothing wrong with ambition, nothing wrong with that at all. Now, what I have a problem is, is with ruthless ambition. If someone is ruthless and they undercut and undermine you, then that's certainly not servicing the environment well as a whole, certainly not serving them in the long run, certainly not serving myself and other people that have to deal with that. In those cases, I certainly directly spoke to the person and let them know I was aware of what was going on. 
certainly let them know what I felt they were doing was disrespectful at all costs. They did, they did not have to operate that way at all costs. That They were just being disrespectful. And certainly, I was not going to be the price to pay for their disrespect or the ruthless ambition that they were that they wanted to go forward with it. Now, certainly it didn't always solve it because some people are just gonna be who they are. But I certainly wanted the, this individual to be aware at all times that I was aware of what they were doing. And then I was gonna continuously always be an advocate for myself. Certainly don't have to be violent, don't have to be angry, don't have to be rash, but sometimes just have that direct and crucial conversation. When you're in these, in, when you're in these situations, when you're dealing with discourse, anger, and conflict, there's a lot of different ways that one can handle it. But certainly these are some of the ways in which I've chosen to handle it. When things are happening in the moment, the number one thing I do is I take a deep breath because there's no need to react to it at that very moment. And number two, I then understand, I understand that once again, it's about them. It's not about me. The third thing I always think about, I think about what Michelle Obama said many years ago when she said, when someone goes low, you have to go high. It's really hard to do that because you don't wanna sit there and you feel like you're excusing bad behavior. But remember, when you go high while someone's going low, bad behavior is revealed, it is shown. You don't have to sit there and prove that bad behavior is going on because bad behavior will show its show up by itself for itself. You don't even have to do anything about it. And then the fourth thing I do is I always look at the situation from a 360 degree point of view. Could I be open? Could I have been wrong in the situation? Could there have been aspects of the situation where I could have been wrong? Could I have handled it differently? I try to look at it from another person's point of view. Maybe from their point of view, maybe I was wrong. Maybe there was something I did. When I talk about the situation, whether I'm talking about it to a mediator or talking about it to a mentor or someone that I feel that could assist in the situation, I'm always truthful about the situation. I always tell the truth about what's going on and certainly make sure that if I'm telling the truth, then the story is always consistent and I'm getting, making sure I'm getting the best advice as far as resolving the situation because I'm telling the I'm telling the truth. Number six, if necessary, have a direct conversation, respectful conversation in a business standpoint with the person that you're dealing with. You could be friendly, you could be professional, even when you're having discourse, even when you're having a, a difference of opinion with someone and you have different sides and different, and different aspects of how you see things, you try to look at things that, you know what, we're gonna argue or we're gonna have discourse about ideas and processes. We don't make it about the person. We make it about the ideas and processes and the points of view we may have. So it doesn't get personal, even though very easily it could get personal, you try to proactively not make it personal. And last but not least, if you need someone to intercede and be a mediator, then that's what human resources is for. Have them mediate, have someone in authority mediate the situation because sometimes it may not always be best for you to handle the situation on your own. And certainly if you're not looking at someone in your organization, if you're not looking at a mentor, once again, I always invite you to let to work with us. We'll work with you one-on-one, -on -one, whether you're that business person, whether you're a returning citizen or a coaching client. We'll work with you and we'll talk you through the issues about discourse, anger, and conflict. Contact me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com and certainly reach out to me via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, you've been blessed to see another day. And if you've been blessed to see another day, you've been blessed with your second chance. So definitely make the best of it. I love you all. Take care.